Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles and open them with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and one of our ushers will bring you an iPad. Uh, Well, I guess, well, I don't know. You can, I don't know if we have extra iPads around, but uh, you probably have a Bible on your iPad or your mobile device. We'll we'll bring you a printed Bible if you need one. And also, if you you don't have a Bible, you can keep that Bible because we think the best gift that we can give you is Jesus Christ. And you can find Jesus Christ in his word. And when you open up his word, that's when your life changes. So you can keep that Bible if you don't have one. But we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series that we have entitled Servant Savior. Because Mark has presented Jesus so far in this Gospel as the Son of God, the Servant of Man, and the Savior of the world. And in fact, that's exactly what we're going to be focusing in on in chapter 8. The title of the message today is The Suffering Son, because what we see is really the purpose and the heart and the mission of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. But before he comes as the conquering king, he first came as the suffering servant. He came to sacrifice his life for us. He came to be the great exchange, as Jesus says at the end of this chapter. What will you give in exchange for your soul? We don't have enough money in the bank account, and we definitely don't have enough money in the 401k right now uh, because of what's going on in our economy We don't have anything that we can exchange for our soul. Your soul is so very very valuable to God. But there is one exchange, and that is the exchange of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Because God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we're going to be looking at the suffering son. He's going to predict his persecution. So the point that we want to remember today is that Jesus presents a prediction of his future persecution. And uh, this is going to be outlined at the end of the chapter, but we're going to see this in a number of ways. First, we're going to look at two miracles. We're going to see many people experience the miracles of Jesus. First is the feeding of the 4,000, and the second is the healing of a blind man. Secondly, we're going to see the Pharisees and the disciples have an exclusive meeting with Jesus. The meeting with the Pharisees, they are obviously going to want to confront and contend and fight against Jesus. But then the meeting with the disciples, Jesus is going to warn the disciples about the leaven or the influence or the teaching or the doctrine of the Pharisees. But then also this is where we see Peter and the apostles just declare Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus explain this ministry of the Messiah, the promised one, who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So a lot to get to. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days... The multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Everyone say compassion. This is a word that is being used to describe Jesus' heart for people. It's always people. The church is the people. It's not programs. It's not ministry. Although the church consists of those types of things. But People trump programs every single time in Jesus' economy. 
In the economy of the kingdom, it's people over programs or over ministry. And Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. And so he's never in a hurry to go past people because he knows that people is rarely where the ministry happens. And so oftentimes, unfortunately, I'm not that way. I looking to programs and I'm looking to systems and I'm looking to ministries and I blow past people unfortunately I know you don't do that but uh, I do I'm just this self-confession time but if we want to look more like Jesus in our lives we need to be less in a hurry and have more of compassion this is compassion that moves to action and he says in verse three and if I send them away because they're hungry to their own houses they're going to faint And then the disciples answered and said to him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Everyone say satisfy. I think this is a great question to ask, obviously, because there is a physical and a spiritual um, uh, issue that Jesus is addressing here. The physical issue is the hunger, but the spiritual issue is the soul. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Now, this is just after he has raised a girl from the dead, healed a man who was deaf and mute, fed 5,000 with a couple of fish and and some some loaves. And so this is the feeding of the 4,000. And he said seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, gave thanks, broke it, gave to his disciples, and they presented it to the multitudes. They also had a few small fish. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but last week I had a little break, and I was out fishing, as many of you guys know, and I caught only a few small fish. Unfortunately, that was my experience, but it was great to have a nice refreshment and a nice exhale, so to speak. Um, But unfortunately, there was just a few small fish. Now, as a fisherman, you want to come back and tell them this big story about all these big fish that you caught. And it seems that the hands get bigger and bigger as you tell the story. But my fish went this way. However, it was very refreshing to be with the Lord and out in nature fishing. So they had just small resources is what we need to keep in mind. We need to remember about this is that the limited resources God can take if you give whatever limited resources you have into the hand of Jesus, he can do immeasurably more than what we can possibly ask, think, or imagine. So he broke it, he blessed it, and they were all filled. Verse 9, now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away and immediately got into a boat with his disciples and came to this other region. Now jump over to verse 22 because in the context of the healing ministry of Jesus, these are the two miracles that take place. In verse 22, then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Once again, this is an example, a wonderful example of good friends. You need friends in your life that bring you and bring you to Jesus and beg for God's touch in your life. And uh, there's a saying that maybe you've heard, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And uh, a lot of the times, the people that we associate with and we have around us is going to be a clear indication of what your life is going to look like 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So be careful with the people that you surround yourself with. This man had some good friends. They brought him to Jesus and they begged for him on his behalf. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. So this is a one-on-one moment that he has. Away from the busyness, away from the crowds. Just connect personally. It's good to get away with Jesus by the hand. Let him lead you wherever he wants to take you. Wherever you, just put your hand in Jesus. He'll lead you. 
And oftentimes he'll lead you beside still waters. He'll let you sit you down in, in, in green pastures. He'll quiet your soul. And in those moments, he'll look at you and there's going to be a need. And for this man, this need was that he was blind and Jesus was going to heal him. And uh, when he had spit on his eyes, that's pretty radical. That's kind of out there. Uh, so if we want to start a ministry, a healing ministry in the church, that's our first thing. You need to be able to spit really well. No, just kidding. That's a joke. Your second service, you're, you're, um, you're warmed up to some, well, only two jokes that I have. So that was the other second joke. <clears throat> so he spit on the eyes. And some commentators say that because of the condition, there was crust on the eye. And he needed to just moisten it, break it up. I don't know. Um, but uh, we don't look too far into that. However, Jesus does it. He spits in his eyes. And he asked him, saying, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hand on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the towns nor tell anyone in the town. So let's just pause there and make mention of a couple of things regarding the miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 4,000, the healing of this Blind man. First, I see the pity or the compassion of Jesus. And when it comes to people, I think I mentioned this earlier, when it comes to people, Jesus cares for the physical difficulty as well as the spiritual deficiency that we have in life. There's two elements that we have. We have a physical body, a physical realm. And many of us, we go across this room, we can talk about some of the physical difficulties that we're encountering. It could be an illness in the body, but it could be a financial thing. It could be a, a relational thing. It could be a work thing. Something that you might be dealing with, the difficulty that you might be dealing with in life right now. Every single one of every single person that you come in contact with has some sort of battle going on. And it really requires us to have this type of compassion that sees the need in other people. And uh, that's what was Jesus was looking at. Not only does he look out upon a multitude of people and he sees the great need of people, but he also sees the individual in the crowd. And we know that because Jesus left in Mark chapter 5. He left the multitudes and he went over. He went passed through a hurricane to reach just one man who was in need. So he sees the individual within the crowd. And compassion gives you, it slows you down enough to have a genuine interest in the hurt and heartache of people around you. And when you can slow down just enough and you realize, what are we going to do to satisfy the needs of people? Well, you don't have, and I don't have, the ability to satisfy the needs of people, but Jesus does. The question that was asked by the disciples is exactly the right question, but they realized that the answer to that question was sitting right in front of them. To satisfy not only the physical needs, but the spiritual needs. And Jesus often used the good works of meeting physical needs to open up the opportunity to present the good news to other people. It's both and. It's not either or. We, James says, if you want to have really good religion, take care of people. Visit the orphan. Visit the person who's in prison. Meet the needs of those who are around you. And we're not talking about social justice. We're talking about compassion of Jesus. We're talking about opening up the doors. He said to the woman at the well, if you continue in those broken relationships, you are never going to be satisfied. But if you drink of the water, that living water that I give you, you will never thirst again. It was a spiritual analogy. He used the physical discontentment in this woman's life 
to present the spiritual need of the soul. And I think every single one of us can relate to that. Jesus says, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will wear or where you will live. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. This is a physical difficulty. And Jesus, notice he says in verse 2, they have continued with me for so long. That's a very good principle of being a follower of Jesus. The more that you continue and stay with Jesus, the more your needs are going to be met. The more your needs are going to come to the surface. And the more Jesus is going to say, I want to satisfy them. I want to meet them. And I spent many years of my life trying to satisfy the hurt, the pain, the anger, the anguish, just the sense of of just lostness and the void in my life with things in the bottle or things in the pipe or things in relationship or things on the screen, whatever it was, but it never satisfied. It never brought contentment until I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I would say until I found Jesus, well, I already was found by Jesus. I needed to surrender my life to Jesus. And there were many people like these blind man's friends who were begging on behalf of Sherwood because I was lost. You looked at my friends back then, you would see his future had no future. But there was grace of God in my life. He was so compassionate. He was so long-suffering. And... There is no satisfaction, not only in this life, but in the life to come for your soul. There is a longing in every single person's heart. And you might be trying to fill it in some way, but you will never fill it, never be content, and never be satisfied because Jesus satisfies those needs when we surrender it to him. And he satisfies our needs when the supplies are slim. This was not only a miracle of Jesus, but it was a stretching of the faith of the disciples. And oftentimes, God's got to stretch our faith. When we look at the things and the circumstances around us, when we can't seem to see how things are going to add up or how we're going to make it to the end of the week or how we're going to overcome that diagnosis. But that's when the power of God shows up. That's when the miracles of God shows up. That's when the mercy of God shows up. That's when we look back and say, God was the one who sustained me. He was the one who strengthened me. He was the one who provided for me. His provision is always best and is uh, always in the right timing. But unfortunately, we want it to happen a lot quicker. You know, we want, we want the microwave Christianity. But biblical Christianity is not... You don't nuke biblical Christianity. You put it in a crock pot. It's kind of like, it's kind of like our, it's kind of, it's like our dinner that we had last night, and uh, we had to put the roast in there all day. It's very convenient. But see, in our instant gratification, we in our culture right now, we just want things to change. We we want the need to be met. We want it to happen right now. But there are no shortcuts to following Jesus Christ. In fact, every single road of being a disciple of Jesus Christ passes through the intersection of pain, of denial, of agony, of losing our life. Why? So that at that moment of losing our life, we can see life. We can experience life. We can save our life. We can enjoy life to the fullest of what Jesus has described for us. Every single road. So you got to wait upon him. And as you wait upon him, he's going to renew your strength. It's not going to happen instantly. And in fact, that is also the case for the man who was blind. Now, I don't claim to understand all that's happening in this exchange with Jesus. And some may come 
away from this verse and thinking that Jesus messed up. Well, he wasn't perfect. He had to touch him two times. What happened? He, Jesus made a mistake. He didn't restore him fully. Well, I obviously believe that Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Sometimes when we perceive it, it may look like a mistake to us. But as I was mentioning earlier, we want immediate change in our lives. We want the, the money in the account or the relationship to re, be restored or the child to, to come back or the addiction to be broken. We want it to happen right away. The body to be healed. And we have seen Jesus do that, friends. It's been so sweet and encouraging to read through in an instant be in touch. But listen, this is very important. Sometimes Jesus' method of healing is ongoing rather than instant. Rather than a moment. Rather than a quick fix. It's ongoing. And I, for one, am a person who needs not only just one touch of Jesus, I need 10,000 touches of Jesus. Just like this man. I need a touch today. I need a touch in 10 minutes. I need a touch tomorrow. Constantly the touch of Jesus Christ in my life so that we are continuing to be healed and mended and restored and made well. Maybe that's an encouragement to you because you're thinking, well, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. Or God doesn't heal today anymore. Yes, he does. And it's not because you have little faith because we've seen a woman with little faith come to a great God and receive miracle power being unleashed in her life and in her family's life. It's not about that. It's about who Jesus is in the moment and what he's doing in your life and how he's teaching you lessons and how he's stretching your faith. And as you are continuing in him to go back to be satisfied with him, because oftentimes if it doesn't happen quick enough, well, then we go to something else. Well, maybe this will satisfy me. Well, maybe this will complete me. Maybe this will bring that contentment. Maybe this will fix the problem. But Jesus says, nope, what you need is a fresh touch from me today. And for Jesus to continue to touch your lives in an ongoing way, to be in the crockpot of his love, (laughs) just marinating in him, soaking it all in so that you're sweet. You're sweet and ready for what God's doing in your life. So this is the miracles of Jesus, the compassion that he has, the, the disconnect that the, the disciples have, the satisfaction of the need, the healing of the blind. But we also see Jesus have a couple of meetings with the Pharisees and the disciples. Now jump back to verse 11. We're kind of patching this chapter together because of the flow that is taking place. In verse 11, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Jesus seeking from him a sign from heaven and testing him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. This is a grieving sigh. And said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. We've mentioned already that Mark doesn't include a lot of what is included in the other uh, gospels. And in this inner exchange with the Pharisees, Jesus goes on to say in the other Gospels that only one sign will be given, that's the sign of Jonah. And if you're familiar with the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet who was called by God to preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh. But he rejected that call. He ran from God. He found himself on a boat in the middle of a hurricane because of his 
problems, and he was cast into the sea to calm the storm. He was swallowed by a fish and uh, spit up three days later. This is a pretty exciting story, huh? You're like, man, I want to really know about that story. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's in the Old Testament. You can read it. But Jesus says the sign of Jonah. Well, how is, how is Jesus's how is Jesus ministry a sign of Jonah in the Old Testament? Well, Jonah sacrificed his life for others on the boat. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Jonah came back from basically death in the belly of a whale. Three days later, Jesus says that he will resurrect three days later after his death. Jonah preached the message of repentance. Jesus, the very first words out of his mouth, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's no other sign. In fact, if you want a sign from Jesus, just open up your scriptures. Open up your Bible if you're really seeking a sign. Now, this sign that the Pharisees wanted, they wanted like fire and brimstone to be called down in a power of Elijah sort of sign. But uh, Jesus has been revealed fully and completely in the scriptures that you hold in your hands or that are in your tablet or mobile device. So if you want a sign, if you're seeking a sign, if you're desperate to hear from him and you need direction in your life, just open up your Bible. Open up your scriptures because it's in the scriptures that you get to know the heart of God. It's in the scriptures that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, the Servant Savior, right, um, are revealed. It's in the scriptures that his heart and his compassion are revealed for you and I. So you might be thinking, well, I don't know God. Well, when was the last time you opened your Bible? And you'll have fresh revelation. There are things that no pastor can teach you when you sit down in the quietness of your own room and you just have your heart open and you have your Bible open and you have the Holy Spirit just working in your life. You say, Holy Spirit, just teach me, show me, help me. I want to know. There are such deep, Spiritual truths, the hopes that will sustain you. No quotes that look good on paper are going to do that in your life in the moment. I mean, they may point us and summarize what the scripture might be saying in that moment or in that context. And it might help you remember, sure. But there are things that Jesus will speak to your soul in the deepest and darkest moments that will sustain you that like nothing else can. If you just open up your Bible, your life will radically change. There's the sign, the sign of Jesus. But these Pharisees come, they demand, they test, they fight, right? They want a great sign, but Jesus isn't looking for a great sign for people. He's looking for small faith, (laughs) simple faith, little faith, the faith of a mustard seed placed in Jesus Christ that God can do so much great work in a life that is open and trusting and receiving and believing. They come to test But Jesus also warns. He warns them of the hypocrisy that was going on in these Pharisees' lives. And the hypocrisy had to deal with the content of their teaching and the character of their living. And Jesus uses the word leaven. Again, it's a baking term or an ingredient that's used to make dough rise. But it's a very small thing that works its way throughout the entire lump of bread, throughout all of the ingredients. And in the Bible, leaven is described as as sin or, or evil influence. And so Jesus warns us to be careful about the things that we see and the the things that we hear and the things that we accept. And the only way that we can identify counterfeit teaching or doctrine or even false or fake people or fake spiritual leaders is to verify the authentic. And how do you verify the authentic? It's right here in our Bibles. We get to know God through his word. 
And God's word is the, is the authentic, brings the authenticity and the truth and, and, uh, and the inerrancy and the veracity of what we might be hearing. There's a lot of things that are being said by people who aren't even Christ followers. But we think, oh, that must be in the Bible. Nope, it's not in the Bible. We've got to search the scriptures. We've got to go back to the source. We need to understand what God's word is because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. A little bit of compromise mingled with some bit of truth can really distract us and actually bring a lot of harm. And so Jesus warns the disciples of being very careful about what you hear or who you follow. And in fact, that carries on into what Jesus says to Peter as he confesses. Now jump back over to verse 27. And in verse 27 we read, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns in Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others a prophet. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Now, in the other Gospels, we're told that Jesus continues on by saying that in response to Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ, he says to Peter, and I declare that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, that's not the rock of Peter. It's the rock of the declaration of who Jesus is. And that declaration is Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And in the Old Testament, that was prophetic. That was uh, the promise of, of the anointed one, uh, the, the Son of God. In fact, Jesus uses the Son of Man as a phrase in this chapter as well to describe himself uh, as fully God and, and as fully man. And so this is the promise of the one who was to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth, the one who was to deliver the children of Israel, uh, the one who was to fulfill the promises and the prophecies of God in the sacrificial system. All of these things are wrapped up in this title of the Christ. And Jesus says, upon this truth and upon the identity of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and as the Christ and as the Son of God, the church is established. I love that phrase. I will build my church. First, the church belongs to Jesus. He is the head. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. The church isn't the steeple, it's the people. It's you and I. You do not belong to a pastor. You do not belong to a priest. You do not belong to a pope. You do not belong to a denomination or to an organization. All of those, if they are humble and biblical and prayerful, then they will point you to the one you do belong to. And that one is Jesus Christ. You belong to him. I will build my church. That is a sign of ownership. And if he is going to build, then as Peter says in his gospel, that we are like living stones, being fit, formed, and fashioned into the building of God for his glory and for his purpose. He has ownership of you in your life. He is participating in the building of your life, in the, um, in the development of your life, in the maturity of your life. And we also have the fellowship, the encouragement, and the victory. And Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's victory that we have in our lives. The church will continue to advance. You see, Jesus' identity, as described by Peter here in these verses, is the foundation for the church's reality. But it goes much deeper than that. 
And what I mean by deeper, it goes much more personal than that. Because I think that God would pose that same question to every single one of us in this room. Who do you say that Jesus is? Well, he's my parents' savior. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, my parents were in ministry. And it was always my parents' faith. Well, your parents' faith is not going to serve your spot in eternity. It's a personal decision that you make before the Lord. Who do you say that I am? Not who other people say. And for Peter to respond that you are the Christ, this was a direct revelation that God would give to him. And I hope and pray that if you haven't answered that question in the, in the way that Peter has answered that question, that by the end of our time today, that you would answer, that you would surrender, that you would respond to the true identity of Jesus in his persecution and in his suffering for you on the cross. Greater love, the Bible says, is no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus is describing for us in the remaining verses that we'll read this morning and just kind of wrap this up. At the end of uh, chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests, the scribes, and be, killed and, uh, and be killed after three days rise again. And he spoke this word openly, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And when he called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. So in these closing verses, Jesus goes on to talk about what will you give in exchange for your soul and that there is a reward. There is true life to be found in surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. But the word is brought up, the cross. Now, not only is Jesus predicting his future persecution, death, burial, and resurrection, but he's also calling, calling the follower of Jesus to pick up that same cross of suffering. So as a follower of Jesus, that life does not only consist of pain and agony, but also Life and glory. Now, we might not see that glory uh, in this life, but we will see it as we continue in following him. But what Jesus is saying here in this prediction of his future suffering is that the king of divinity, the king of heaven, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, has come to be crushed for humanity. He's come to hang on a tree. He's come to be cursed. He's come to take on himself the judgment that we deserve. He's come to be beaten. He's come to be pierced. He's come to wear a crown of thorns before he acquires the crown of thrones, right? He's come to be pierced in the side. He's come to be betrayed. He's come to be uh, mocked. And that was for you and I. That is the greatest love that you could express. 
Jesus is the king of divinity coming to be crushed for us on the cross. But Peter didn't understand this. He was resisting the will of God. And when you resist the will of God, Jesus describes in these verses that you're actually partaking in the work of Satan. Because Satan wants nothing to do with the redemption of the human soul. Satan wants nothing to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Christ and of the Messiah. Satan wants nothing to do with people's lives being transformed and changed. Peter couldn't see that quite yet. We can't, you know, fault him too much because he's an ongoing work in progress just like you and I. But this is a teaching moment for us. The will of God. The rebuke of Jesus. The acknowledgement. This was so serious that Jesus recognized even the powers of hell were coming against the people and the followers of Jesus to thwart the work of God in Christ. It was so very serious. And so in one moment, Peter is being praised, and in the moment, he's being rebuked. Can anyone relate to that? <laughs> I know Jesus does that. I get a whipping by Jesus in my life. Basically, what I mean is I get convicted. I get convicted, and I realize, wow, I've really fallen short. Or why did I say that thing? Or why did I respond that way? Or whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And there's times where I realize, wow, there's not the compassion or love of Jesus in my life. And I'm just barreling through. And yet there is the soft, tender, patient, long-suffering nature of Jesus to say, it's going to be all right, Sherwood. You're a work in progress. And our lives as followers of Christ include discipline, but also hope. Hope and encouragement. Jesus is cheering us on. He's saying, run the race, fight the good fight, keep in the word, stay in fellowship, discern what is evil, look for what is good, set your mind on things above, live in a different way, don't be conformed to this culture, have your mind renewed, all of these things. Jesus is saying, you got this, I'm with you. You can do this, Holy Spirit. But there's also times where he's got to step in and say, you do not have the work of God in mind. And you need to change. And so Peter is going to change over the course of his life. In fact, he's going to be crucified upside down because of his faith and trust in Jesus. So there is this uh, resistance. But then lastly, Jesus describes that the, the path of discipleship must include the path of the cross. And in this culture, the cross meant suffering and agony and shame. For someone to be crucified on a cross meant you were cursed by God. But thankfully, Jesus took the curse off of us and onto himself. But it also means that we can't, there, aren't, there aren't any shortcuts. And our lives as followers of Jesus must include, listen, this is important, laying down control. And the best way to lay down control of your life is to pick up your cross and follow him. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some agony. You're not immune to those difficulties. But it is the fellowship of the suffering of Christ. Because it is in that fellowship that the heart and compassion and mind of Christ is developed in us. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives your compassion. Thank you that you look upon us and you see us in all of our needs. And I know that you look out upon this congregation and you see all of the need. 
And I pray, starting from this moment on, throughout the course of this next week, that every single person in this room would stay with you in your word this week. And as they stay with you in your word this week, then they would begin to see their needs being met by the compassionate heart of God. I pray also that we would be careful about those things that we might be compromising in. There might be some things that are influencing us in a very negative and very harmful way. We thank you, God, that your truth reveals that. So I I just pray, Lord, that if if there are people seeking, seeking you, seeking a sign, seeking hope, seeking wisdom, they would find that. Even as we sing this closing song, but I know also there may be some in this room who have lived a life that is not satisfied. You tried a lot. You've been everywhere. But you're still left wanting more. Let me encourage you to take a step towards God today to receive the satisfaction that only Jesus Christ can provide for you, not only in this world, but in your soul. There is peace and a contentment and satisfaction that only he can bring. And you can do that simply by acknowledging and confessing your sin. If Jesus came to suffer and die, he came because you and I are lost in our sin. And if you confess your sin, the Bible says God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior in the quietness of your own heart. That's what these people are going to do in just a few moments as we go out and have baptisms. They're professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You don't have to wait. You can do that now. God, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.